Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast with Tanya Ray Fox. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox, and I am coming to you from my mother's den in Plymouth, Massachusetts. I have been here since last Monday. I don't know if you've noticed, but since I've been in town, the weather has been beautiful. I mean, I think we've had one rainy day since I've been here. A few cloudy mornings, but for the most part, I've been out by the pool. I've been taking sunny walks. It's been absolutely gorgeous. And I was warned about the bad weather. I have to say, I posted a poolside picture early on in my trip, said you're welcome for the sunshine. Everybody said thank you. I feel like I did my part to improve the New England summer. I, you know, it's another, just a, a, the latest in a long list of things I do for you guys. You know, I, I, I do this for myself, but I also do it for you. So I really hope that you've been enjoying the last week and a half of weather. I head back on Friday, so I'm really hoping I, I leave some of this here for you, you know, because I want the rest of the summer to go well. Uh, in all seriousness, it's been great to be home. And like I've said, like, I really enjoy a a few weeks of that nice, humid New England weather. It really brings me back. I definitely totally forgot what humidity does to hair. So that was fun. My hair is very flat, so it doesn't get frizzy, but it also doesn't hold any shape or curl or anything. So I just kind of get left with this. This is the best we're going to do. Uh, so I know for those of you who are listening, you don't see it, but you know, for those who uh, are potentially watching, you get, you get the look, you get the look. Uh, it's been a pretty interesting week. I was really checked out last week. I did my, um, ask me anything mailbag. That was great. And then I was able to kind of take a break for the week. I had time off from work for the first time in 2021 and it was great. So I was barely on Twitter, had no idea what was going on in the sports world. It's very unusual for me. And normally I, uh, you know, I still kind of crave that being in the loop, but I think because it's summertime and we're post NBA finals and it was just in that perfect little lull before training camp, before the Olympics started, where it was like the perfect time to take a week. So I'm back, you know, I checked back in and boy, this week has not disappointed. So we've got a few things to hit on today. Patriots training camp kicked off and I'm not sure how much you can learn from one day. Uh, and as this goes on, you know, we're going to see more and more, but uh, we'll, we'll just touch on that just a little bit. You know, things are going to change as the week progresses. So we don't want to get too far into day one, but I do want to touch on a few things uh, because I, again, I'm seeing a pattern. I'm seeing some things I expected it really is all shaping up so far to be, you know, the season really looks like how I've been envisioning it and how we've been talking about it. So I'll, we'll get into that. Uh, Aaron Rodgers reported for training camp in Green Bay. And today he gave a press conference in which he aired all his grievances and made a couple of interesting comments. So, you know, I'm going to play those for you. You know, we're going to get into it. I couldn't have a show this week without talking about Simone Biles and what's been going on with her at the Olympics, how she's handled it, and most specifically, the reaction to it, and how we can start to have a really productive conversation about these things, rather than reducing them to old tropes and our expectations of athletes and eras gone by. 
uh, it's, you know, I'm going to get a little heated. I've been going crazy on Twitter on this topic. So if you follow me, you know that we're going to get into that as well. So, you know, packed show. So let's do this. Hot stuff coming up. First up, Patriots training camp did kick off today. Three quarterbacks on the field, Cam Newton, Mac Jones, and Brian Hoyer. And uh, Mac Jones was one of the first players out on the field, ready to go. Great reception from the fans. Was not there, but luckily all of my wonderful uh, peers, colleagues, and friends and fans, you know, they gave you the rundown on Twitter. So I was able to keep up with what was going on. And uh, it looks like, you know, the fans are excited about Mac. And that's great. It, you know, the biggest things that have come out of OTAs and now starting with spring training and the way that the guys, that the team seems to be responding to him is that he's really fitting in. He is finding a rhythm already as a rookie. He's uh, got the right attitude. Everybody seems to be connecting with him. He so far seems to have a good relationship with Cam, which is you know, that's what you want, because if he's going to get anything out of playing under Cam Newton, them having a good relationship is great. Uh, they're both working with a lot of advantages. And for Max specifically, he has a huge advantage because he has the opportunity to, to, to compete for the job in some ways, even though I don't think that he will be the starter to start the season. He technically is competing for that role. And he's and Cam knows he is fighting for his job. He is fighting for his career. He is not owed anything Nothing will be handed to him. There isn't any entitlement to the starting job um, as far as Cam is concerned, at least in the way he's portrayed it to the media and to the team itself. He knows he's working for it. So he can have that veteran presence with Mac and be that leader and be that role model and be that tutor. Uh, and also Mac doesn't have to necessarily, he doesn't have to give Mac that like staking my territory thing. You know, the kind of stuff that we saw with Brady and Garoppolo or Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love or these places where it's like, I'm the starter here. I don't want to deal with any rookies bullshit. We don't have that as much. So it's, it's kind of fun. It's, it's an aspect of the quarterback situation that I think is unique to have a first round pick come in and a guy like Cam already there is pretty unique. You know, Cam is a former MVP. He's played in a Super Bowl. He is widely respected. One of the great talents of the last decade in this league, but he is not guaranteed that spot. It's 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 up for the taking in a lot of ways, at least theoretically. And I like what that's going to do for the quarterback room, the group and the team in general. Uh, because there is no, it really is going to be who is the best for this team, for this offense right now. They both, neither one had like the best day out there, according to everybody. A little bit, I saw a few videos. There was, it's a wet ball, wet conditions, not the best for throwing, but uh, some good highlights out of both guys. It definitely looks like they're running the same type of offense for both players, which again, we've talked about. If they're going to stick with a set offense that they're going into the season with, uh, most likely that offense is going to be catered more toward Cam, especially with the running backs and the tight ends. And so the if they're kind of keeping that consistent with the two guys, with the quarterbacks, it lends itself to the belief that they still think Cam at the end of the day is the guy to start. And Mac is going to be working in that system and not having something built specifically for him. Although, again, I know that, of course, 
Mac is talented enough to function in that system. And to be, let's be fair, you know, it, I think most rookie quarterbacks could benefit from a system that is more uh, tight end heavy and running back heavy than people realize, right? Because they come from these high flying passing offenses in college. And that seems like the natural progression to stay in there going into the NFL. But I really think that this will be a good way to initiate into the league uh, and to give him different looks and round out his skill set while he can still learn beyond the bench watch. So I'm really excited about the what little we already know about where things are going there. Obviously, you want one of them to rise to the top, right? So starting in OTAs, now in camp, you know, neither one really fully steps up or, you know, they both have a good day, they both have a bad day, whatever. And I expect that as time goes on, that gap might get a little bigger just because when you have a veteran guy who knows how to work with those reps and knows how to maximize them, more likely to kind of get that rhythm and get things going. But it seems like Max really hung in there and certainly not played himself out of anything so early he couldn't have possibly, but you know, he's, he's hanging in there and he's making a name for himself and that's a good sign. You know how I feel. You know that if, if they end, for whatever reason, end trading camp, enter preseason sort of at 50-50 uh, where it's kind of a coin toss, I am extremely certain that Belichick will go with Cam knowing what he has in him as a leader and a veteran and a guy who knows how to handle himself on the field in big moments. So it would, again, all indications to me are that Mac would have to really rise above Cam, really set himself apart in training camp, heading into preseason uh, to convince Belichick that going with a rookie quarterback is the way he wants to go with an offense that's been this overhauled in one season. I really genuinely believe this job will continue to be Cam's unless Mac outright, straight up, no questions asked, wins it. You would really have to see something so incredibly special to put out a guy with so, with, you know, to put out a rookie guy over someone with as much experience as Cam has. Moving on from that, the defense is coming along. I saw a few, uh, a few of the beat reporters talking about how it really seemed like a day for the defense in this first day of training camp. My guy, Nelson Aguilar, who I've been trying so desperately to convince you guys is going to be a big part of this offense this year. He had a great day. Uh, Hunter Henry was super enthusiastic about being in this tight end tandem with Johnny Smith, which, I mean, we all are so... That's got to be one of the things we're most excited to see in this offense is those two guys being able to go for it. I mean, they could really be something special if they're able to stay healthy and on the field and work together. And it seems like they're both really amped to be a part of that, which is great. Uh, but overall, having a great day for the defense is great because we know that that's the unit that needs to really power this team throughout a season, you know, in a post Tom Brady era for the Patriots, that defense is going to be as important as ever. They are the more veteran group. They are the more seasoned group. I mean, this is still a Belichick team. The defense is always going to be key. So it's nice that they came out full throttle. It's all shaping up. I mean, it really is all shaping up early again. We're just getting a look at everybody in these training camp sessions, but all good stuff coming out. Hot stuff coming up.
In broader news, Aaron Rodgers, our old friend, has shown up to Green Bay training camp. He is there. He has returned. The prodigal son is back. And he's graced everyone with his presence, looking truly unaffazed yesterday, arriving with his mirrored sunglasses on. So cool. Oh, boy. Uh, and then he got to the podium today. And let's, say, let's just say this. He didn't hold back. Mr. Oh, the media is always making stuff up. You can't listen to them. They're going to say what they want to say. For someone who's so skeptical about how much the media knows, he sure did prove us all right at the podium today. Let's run through a couple of things that Aaron Rodgers said to the press on Wednesday afternoon. So one of the uh, more probably brilliant questions was uh, from Tom Pellicero at NFL Network, and he, he just kind of laid it all out there. He said, right to Aaron, what was this all about for you? And here's a few quotes that Aaron threw in there uh, in response to Pellicero. This wasn't a draft day thing. Started the conversation in February after the season ended, and I just expressed my desire to be more involved in conversations that directly affected my job. Also, I wanted to help the organization maybe learn from some of the mistakes in the past, in my opinion, about the way some of the ongoing veterans were treated and just the fact that we didn't retain a number of players that I feel were core players to our foundation, our locker room. High character guys, I'm talking about Charles Woodson, Jordy Nelson, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, James Jones, John Kuhn, Brett Good, TJ Lang, Brian Bulaga, Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde. Guys who were exceptional players for us, great locker room guys, high character guys, many of whom weren't offered a contract at all or were extremely low-balled or were maybe, in my opinion, not given the respect on the way out of out that guys of their status and stature and high character deserve. I thought that was an interesting quote because here we get a look into exactly some of the things that Aaron Rodgers sees as a role he wasn't being given by the Packers and that role is apparently GM. And I don't mean that flippantly because I do think that there are players, especially franchise quarterbacks, first ballot Hall of Fame franchise quarterbacks who are who should have more of a say in how the team is put together, the offense specifically is put together if they are going to continue to carry it. However, a lot of defensive guys on that list uh, Charles Woodson's been retired for a while, so I'm not sure where he was going with that one. But I'm not I not a big fan of quarterbacks having a say on defense. Not even Tom Brady did that. I, I don't know where where he gets off. I don't I think that's a little overstepping the bounds. I also think that there's an interesting thing going on here where it's like, these are great guys, these are high character guys, these guys are my friends, these are the guys on the team I got along with, and you got rid of them. And, you know, that's a double-edged sword because Aaron doesn't get along with that many people or, you know, more specifically, he's not close with a lot of people in the same way that some other quarterbacks are with their teams. So he is especially picky and especially salty when his guys go. When you hear names like Jordan, Jordy Nelson and Brian Bulaga, and you think about all of the other quarterbacks who've had to cycle through offensive linemen cycle through wide receivers who've been through the same kind of thing. Uh, again, you know, you go back to some of the offensive linemen that 
have exited the team when Brady was there, you know, and granted, they always built him a great offensive line. So he had a ton of trust in that. But you there is a level to this where it's just like, what? What do you expect? How much do you think you can manage? Can you manage the cap? When you want these guys to say, what is your plan? You know, I always say to people, if you don't like my plan, you gotta offer me a better, you gotta offer out a better one. If you don't like my ideas, you gotta tell me why and how they would be better. If I put out a top 10 list and you think you don't, and you don't like it, or you wanna take a guy out, or you wanna add a guy in more specifically, Tell me who you're taking out in order to get that guy in and why. You can't just say your plan sucks, right? And so and a lot of what Aaron does is say, I don't like this, I don't like this, I think this was stupid, I think this was dumb, I think they should have done this better, but doesn't explain how. And I don't expect a quarterback to know how to build a team, how to break down all of the all of the salary and how to add incentives and how to create cap space and how to you know, bring in, keep certain players while bringing in a free, you know, this, that is a GM's responsibility. That are, that is a front office's responsibility. And if he doesn't like how they're doing it, I understand the thing is he could leave because he's not going to overnight become a general manager. It just doesn't happen that way. Even Tom Brady doesn't have that kind of power. So I, I, I'm not sure, like just leave. And, you know, he had an, I'm going to play this soundbite for you because I thought it was really telling. I love this team. I love the, you know, the fans and the opportunity to play on Lambeau Field has been a dream come true to be in my 17th season is really special. I love this team. I love this or the fans. He stopped short of saying organization. He specified the fans. And I think this was him marking his territory saying I'm back. And I'm doing this because I want to keep playing. Um, he admitted he considered retiring. He admitted all that he, all of this drama that had been happening all offseason was there, that we weren't misinterpreting anything. He admitted all of that, but he did. And he stopped short of saying he loved this organization, which I think we can all get, like, we've gathered. He is dif disappointed and frustrated with the organization. So it's not shocking. Almost Shameless with Tanya Ray Fox is brought to you by Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up before the next pitch head over to bet online on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit don't sit on the sidelines anymore get in on the action don't forget to use that promo code clns50 clns50 to receive a 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts it's a tough, it's tough. This is kind of the worst case scenario we were thinking about Aaron Rodgers coming back under these conditions because he's clearly still upset with where things are at. He's clearly not on a great place with the organization and Gutekunst and everybody in charge there. He's back for the fans. He's back for his own ego. You know, he managed even to take a parting shot, like sort of these shots at Green Bay, this Calder said that this place isn't exactly a tourist destination. And it's just like, how much can you really love the fans if you're getting up to the podium and just like totally shitting on their dreams, totally shitting on the organization they root for?
the organization they all partially own, apparently. It's just a weird dynamic. It's very, I truly feel that Aaron Rodgers is just like gaslighting all of Green Bay. I, I don't know. I said, I've said this before. I don't know if Green Bay fans are as mad about it as I am <laughs> um, for them, you know, on their behalf. But boy, I really wouldn't love being a Green Bay fan and being talked to like this. It's a lot of like, no, it's not you guys. It's just the shitty team you love. That's the problem. I love you guys. You live in a boring city that I don't want to be in and this team kind of sucks and they do everything wrong and they don't value me enough and Brett Favre wasn't nearly as good as I am, but you guys are cool. Like, thanks? What? I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. So this just is shaping up to be one weird preseason, one weird season. I don't know. I you know, like I said, this could go one of two ways. It could totally crash and burn and it could be a complete disaster. Or Aaron Rodgers could come out, throw 50 touchdowns, 5,000 something yards, totally demolish everybody and, you know, make us all leave us with our jaws on the floor. But what is not an enigma and what he doesn't seem to understand is that we can tell he, you know, he wants so badly to convince everybody that they're misreading him, that he's misunderstood, that he he's on another level. We just don't get it. And it's like, we get you, dude. You're the easiest, you're the easiest guy in the NFL to read. There's nothing enigmatic or curious about what you're doing. We see, it's very clear. And if you weren't so hostile and gaslighty about all of it, we might even kind of understand it be there with you. But God, you make it hard. You make it hard, Aaron. This season is going to be the difference on whether he is remembered just like Brett Favre, a guy who just couldn't hack it, a guy who just didn't have the ability to end things the right way with the team. And, and it's just, I find it very odd and very serendipitous in some ways that it's coming to this, that this dysfunction with the organization, this, uh, this, open war with the organization and the media, these side comments and all of this stuff are all happening 13 years after Brett Favre did it. It's like, I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, I truly can't believe how, how much these situations are beginning to mirror each other. And, um, and, it, and it does make you wonder, with a, with a fan base that loyal, who is going to be the kind of guy who can hang in there? Because it's, you know, to his credit, and to Brett Favre's credit and everyone else who's been a star there, not having an owner, I, I don't know how much longer they can do that. I, get, I keep thinking if this team had an owner and a good one at that, and I think if you own the Green Bay Packers, you should be a good owner. Uh, would this be happening? You know, would this be going on? Would these franchise quarterbacks continue to end their tenures in this storied franchise this way? And I have to imagine that at the very least, things would be in a better place with Aaron if there was a head guy, a guy who was real accountable, a guy who had to be the judgment maker, who had to make that judgment call on whether or not Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay and under what conditions. Um, and instead, there's just too many cooks in the kitchen. Hot stuff coming up. Okay, on to Simone Biles, who is inarguably the biggest star for the Americans at the Tokyo Olympics, the biggest star in the world, really, at the Olympics right now. 
one of the great Olympians that this country has ever produced, went into the Olympics as the favorite to win just about every medal. And, and on Monday, she pulled out of the team event after a pretty harrowing experience on the vault where she went into it, you know, a little bit uncertain and came out of it lucky that she didn't get hurt. Uh, she pulled out of the team event, which is an incredibly difficult situation, puts her teammates in a tough spot, um, but she knew she had to do the right thing. And she explained that she didn't want to cost them a medal. She wasn't there mentally. She knew where she was at and, and, and what she needed to do for herself and for her team. So she pulled out, she supported them, she pep talked them, she gave them everything they needed. Her team, that American team went on to win the silver medal, a massive accomplishment, especially after you lose your biggest star from the competition. So they are to be applauded. Um, Simone has since also withdrawn from the team all around competition. So she won't be in contention to retain her all around title, her incredibly dominant performance from 2016. And she has been incredibly impressive at the podium speaking about these situations. And, I, and before we continue to talk and continue to break this down, I wanna let her say in her own words some of what's been going on. So here's Simone explaining a bit of what happened ahead of the vault and then after, and then her, during her decision to pull out of the team competition. I was like, um, I think the girls need to do the rest of the competition without me. And they were like, I promise you, you're fine. We watched you warm up. And I said, no, I know I'm going to be fine, but I can't risk a medal for the team. So I need to call it. And um, you usually don't hear me say things like that because I'll usually persevere and push through things, but not to cost the team a medal. So they were like, okay, well, if Simone says this, then we need to take it pretty serious. And so um, I had the correct people around me to do that. Yeah, I say um, put mental health first because if you don't, then you're not going to enjoy your sport and you're not going to succeed as much as you want to. So it's okay sometimes to even sit out the big competitions to focus on yourself because it shows how strong of a competitor and person that you really are. So that was Simone on her decision to pull out of the team event. And here's a little bit more from her talking about uh, where she she was at with uh, with it being a, more of a mental decision and not a physical injury. No, um, no injury, thankfully. And that's why I took a step back because I didn't want to do something silly out there and get injured. So I thought it was best if these girls took over and did the rest of the job, which they absolutely did. They're Olympic silver medalists now, and they should be really proud of themselves for how well they did last minute having to go in. Um, and it's been really stressful, this Olympic Games. I think just as a whole, um, not having an audience, there are a lot of different variables going into it. It's been a long week. It's been a long Olympic process. It's been a long year. Um, so just a lot of different variables. And I think we're just a little bit too stressed out. Um, but we should be out here having fun. And sometimes that's not the case. So here's the thing. Just the delay alone for Simone, just the year delay alone is something that could eliminate many gymnasts at her age from competing at an Olympics again. Um, she is on the older side of the age where women compete for the American team in the Olympics. She, a year in gymnastics for a sport where your prime is from when you're 14 to when you're about 20, is a year is, is a lifetime. It can, be, it can make or break. 
And Simone continued to dominate on the world stage in between this break. However, she is also carrying a weight of a sport and the weight of a gender and the weight of black athletes all at once in a way that we have to start getting better at reckoning with. You know, her pulling out of these events prompted a lot of ignorant and uninformed uh, sports fans, and I say fans with air quotes for a reason, to question whether or not, you know, she has it, whether she has what it takes, whether she's just, you know, not pushing through and she's not a real competitor and she's not, she doesn't have that instinct. She's being soft, um, which first of all is to be dumb enough to say something like that about someone with 31 world medals, 31 international medals to her name and act like she's some sort of soft competitor who can't take the heat. I, I truly can't imagine how fucking dumb you'd have to be to believe that. But moving past that, uh, you know, there is a, a massive mental toll the delay has taken on every Olympian. But most Olympians aren't as visible as Simone. Most Olympians aren't, don't have that same weight of a very broken sport on their shoulders. Simone, while preparing for these Olympics since 2016, has also dealt with the absolute meltdown of USA Gymnastics in the light of the Larry Nasser uh, conviction for him sexually assaulting and sexually molesting hundreds and hundreds of gymnasts under the USA Gymnastics watch. They knew what was happening. They allowed it. They enabled it. And she was one of the survivors of his abuse. She found out that they knew he was in being, being investigated during the 2016 Olympics, and she didn't find out until after she was done competing. There are pictures and videos of Larry Nasser with these women training. There are pictures and videos of them with Marta Caroli five years ago at those Olympics. Marta, who again knew and enabled Larry Nasser to assault these girls and women. Just being at the Olympics. It, under those circumstances could trigger PTSD and trauma response. As she mentioned, there's no fans. It's a very weird experience. It is very isolating to be in that situation. And most importantly, gymnastics is not a sport where if you make a mistake and if you're not mentally engaged, things will be okay. You'll just lose and move on. Gymnastics is a sport where if in the middle of the air you forget where you are, you can break your neck. You can end your career with one decision to go for a move that you are not ready, mentally ready to make, to make. And on that vault, it has been explained by people much smarter than me that what she experienced was something that they call the twisties, which is when you, like in layman's term, when you lose track of where you are in the air and the move she does is so difficult, they have questioned whether or not they should allow it in competition. So if she's in the air, you know, she was supposed to be do two and a half 
full twists, rotations in the air. She did one and a half and barely, and her landing was very, you know, she fell forward on her landing. You know, you think about the times in your life where you've done something physically stressful and or dangerous and you get through, you barely get through it and you think, Jesus Christ, I'm lucky I got through that. I'm not doing that again. And then you think about someone who does that and has been doing that every day of their life since they were a child. And if you're not mentally prepared, if you're checked out for whatever reason, and she doesn't owe us an explanation as to what is causing her, her mental strife, all, all we know is that she wasn't there. And to expect anyone to go in, into any of those routines, onto any of that equipment, onto any of, into any of these moves unprepared is beyond ignorant. Maybe there needs to be more education on just how dangerous what they do is. Uh, but I would think that that would be self-explanatory by watching them. So there's that aspect of it. And there's the common sense here, right? There's the common sense. When you have an athlete as dominant as Simone Biles, she's not worried she can't win. She is so far above and beyond everybody else on her level. It's not, it's not a concern. She is Michael Jordan. She is Tiger Woods. She is that good. She is that important. She is that next level. And if you ask me, she has elevated the sport of gymnastics in a way that Tiger didn't even do for golf. And in a way that Jordan didn't even do for basketball. I mean, what Simone has done in this sport is unparalleled by just about every athlete in every other sport. So this isn't a woman who's afraid she's going to lose. That's not what this is about. Just like for Michael, when he walked away from basketball after his father was murdered, he wasn't afraid he was going to lose. He wasn't afraid of the moment. He wasn't afraid of the sport. He was breaking. And we know that because he told us that. We saw it in the last dance. They just had a documentary about it. We know he wasn't okay. Tiger Woods, are you gonna look at Tiger Woods and tell me he couldn't have used a mental health break sometime in there? You can look at the last 12, 13 years of Tiger Woods life and tell me that if he had stepped away and taken care of himself, that he not, might not be in a better spot. Um, you know, it's no judgment on what he should or shouldn't have done. And it's no judgment on his career. But I don't, I think we, it would be disingenuous to say that if he'd grown up, both of those guys, if they had come up in a culture where you could say, I'm not okay, maybe they'd have avoided some really harrowing moments. And Simone, for Simone Biles to get up and do what she did and say what she said in front of tens and hundreds of millions of people across the world on the biggest stage in international sports is incredibly difficult and will continue to make a massive difference for how people uh, treat their bodies going forward in a sport that is incredibly dangerous. You know, a lot of these girls were raised in physically and uh, emotionally and mentally abusive situations on the Caroli Ranch and just in gyms where they are pushed to their limits. And you don't see the ones, you know, we, we see the success stories. We don't see the thousands and thousands of failures, the girls who didn't make it, the girls who did do the vault when they were 
not okay to do it when they were mentally and physically exhausted and broke bones or worse. We don't see those. We only see the success stories. So for her to do what she did and make a statement at the height of her powers as the standard in this sport, as the standard in international competitions, as the standard for Olympic athletes, that's how you do this. Like that, you make the rules when you are as powerful and as hardworking and as uh, pervasive and important as Simone Biles, you get to make the rules. You get that power. That is what she has worked so hard for. She's broken so many barriers for, for these moments so that her and her 31 international medals could get on a podium and say, I don't owe you my life. I don't owe you or anyone my future. I have put everything into this sport. It needs massive reform as it is. This is not a sport that is being judged well, being scored well. Like this is a sport that needs overhaul from when, from, from childhood all the way through the Olympic level. So if she's going to start taking a stand and making the people in this sport internationally and in America take note of what athletes need to feel safe under these conditions, then she's done more uh, with her role than she ever had to. And we should absolutely look at that as the ultimate form of competition, the ultimate sign of a great competitor, the ultimate sign of greatness is to stand up and say, I don't need this. I don't need this for my legacy. I don't need this for my trophy case. I don't need, I, I'm, I don't have anything else left to prove and I'm gonna change things. I hope I get to see her compete in a way that she, where she feels safe and healthy and excited to do it. And if she can't get there, you know what? She owes me nothing. She owes me nothing. It's been an absolute fucking joy and pleasure to watch her compete. And she has changed a sport I've loved, um, that I've watched my whole life. And she and the members of the 2016 and 2012 Olympic teams have done some of the bravest speaking and activism in sports in the world over the last few years. We don't live in the old white man's sports world anymore. There's women, there's black women, there's black men, there are men and women and people of all genders and all races stepping up and becoming faces of sports. And so, no, they're not going to suck it up and get out there so that you get to watch the thing you want to watch and so that they don't get criticized in some column by some old, washed up dude no one cares about. They have a lot more power and agency now, and I hope it continues to go that way. All right. Well, we don't even have any time for any rants or gimmicks. I, I kind of got it all in this week. I got I, So I figure, you know, since last week was a mailbag, lighthearted kind of popping around, we get back into the real sports talk. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, obviously hit me up on Twitter, Tanya Ray Fox on Twitter. Shameless TRF is the podcast on Twitter. Same handles on Instagram. I'm always on both apps. So just let me know what you think. Uh, as, as always, thank you for listening. This was great. It was nice to be able to bang out a podcast while I'm here at home and 
really feeling the vibe of being back in Boston. So I appreciate you bearing with the new surroundings and the crappy lighting to uh, let me let me share some some moments with you and talk sports with you. I look forward to talking with you next week. Until then, have a great weekend. Bye.